this is Fintech Unplugged with Suresh Vajani and me, Robert Cornish. So here we are at check-in then, uh, Suresh. Uh, this is going to be fun. I've, I've never been to the Far East before. What's it like? I mean, have you never been to Singapore? Oh yeah. Yeah, the Far East. Yeah. Oh, for goodness sake, I didn't realise that. It's going to be an interesting conference. Where are you going? Where is your Where is your seat? My seat, I'm 1A, as, as always, which is in the, the, the special premium suite to get my own screen, keep everyone else away. I mean, I, I'm at Where the back. are you? I'm at the back. Can Mate, I come? I'm going to come with you to your seat. You come please. with me. Okay. Come, come, let me. Let me show you what a premium suite looks like on AirAsia. So here we are, and you can see. Oh, no, this isn't mine. Who's. Who's, who's these two guys in here? Do you remember that the owner of Air Asia set up a bank? Really? Yes. And it was one of those names that actually, when I thought about it, I said if Robert had marketing creativity, yeah, yeah. that's the type of name he would come up with. It would be like, I want it to be discreet. So try, try and come up with one. Something like, really. Like, like yeah. a fuel station. What's yeah, that something. fuel station initials? Um, Shell? No. BP. It's a, it's BP. A, what? Okay. So BP was the initial, so what's the word? Something descript. What would you call a bank? If it was so your bank. So there's no payment, so If it was your pay, bank, what would you call it? Big pay. Exactly, that's just like you. Hi, I am Chris Davison, the CEO and co-founder of Big Pay. And I'm Salim Dinani, uh, COO and co-founder of Big Pay. Salim! <laughs> hey! Hey guys! This is Salim. Salim, how are you doing? Good, good. Wow, I thought I'd see you in economy. Can you get me an upgrade? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Come on in. Come on in. Every, everyone's welcome. And who are you with? Uh, Chris Davison, so CEO, co-founder of BigPay. Chris, oh, a pleasure right. to meet nice you. To meet you good to meet you, Chris. Meet well, you, I'm, yeah. I'm in the next cabin to you guys, and uh, so rest is somewhere down that way. With... <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell us, guys, what the heck is BigPay? Big Pay is a challenger bank in Southeast Asia. So we're live in Malaysia and shortly in a few other countries. So we are a digital bank, mobile only. Um, we're the fastest growing and largest challenger bank in Southeast Asia. Wow, that's a pretty good start. That's a bold statement. So does like that, that mean you get me the upgrade? He always keeps pushing until he gets <laughs> How long has it been going? How long have you two been working together? We've been working together about three years now, so yeah, it took a little bit of maybe a year before that and kind of getting everything together, and then three years of building the business, building the product from scratch, doing an MVP, doing a beta trial, and then we went live to market only last year, so we're 18 months, less than 18 months live. In the last like year, we've had really, really like viral growth, basically. Wow. And what was yeah. what was your your core sort of push? What what was it that w drove you to want to do this? But because you both came, I mean, obviously, I've known Celine, but what was the driver for you to want to, to to set up a challenger bank? Well, I think in London there are I mean more challenger banks than you wave a stick at, um, and regulatory wise, it's easy to set set up a business like that. In Asia, there are higher barriers to entry, but equally, there's a bigger unmet need. I mean, more people than not do not have bank accounts in Southeast Asia, and those with bank accounts are definitely very underbanked. The banks are not serving people well on a cost efficiency on every way, and they're certainly not tech-driven. So that is the opportunity, and I think that's actually been the result whereby we put product first and customer first, and that's why we've ended up having the viral uptake that we've had. So I'm just wondering, I mean, we've got loads of time. We've got 10 minutes before takeoff, right? And I'm just wondering, could we do a... Have you heard of Fintech Unplugged? Uh, I think I have. Yeah, yeah. Of, course <laughs> we have. of course we have. It's this thing where we pretend to give people lots of questions in advance, but actually we don't. 
and uh, and then we get them in front of you know a microphone and sometimes we get permission to record sometimes we start recording in advance but you don't need to worry about that because i'm worried i don't think gdpr applies to that region does it uh it's extraterritorial actually so everyone is covered by it oh okay yeah. so we'd have to Robert, to, the, to, to the to the extent yeah. that it's brought back into the european economic area and oh. they, they've got strong financial backing, so they've probably got yeah. big lawyers. They're but, probably all right. Yeah. We'll take that as a yes. We've got 10 minutes, Robert. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's dive straight into the bin of confusion. and Plastic bin, because we couldn't get yeah, metal through the security. the metal wouldn't go through this time. So, oh God, that's a good one here. Big pay is currently only available in Malaysia. Is international expansion on the horizon? Who wants to answer that? Yes, absolutely. So Malaysia was the starting point. It made, you know, it's, it's, we've got 30 million plus people in Malaysia. But absolutely, the plan is to be an ASEAN brand, right? So um, what is ASEAN? So what's the ASEAN area? Where does it start? Where does it finish? Key market. So I think was it Southeast Asia. So it's a Southeast Asian okay, market. Okay, cool. Right? So, yep. you know, Indonesia, uh, Vietnam, does Thailand. Does it include Indians? No, no, not India. And does it not include India. China? No. no. So in between in India between and China. And Australia kind of, you know. Are you going to have Australia in there? No. 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 So Everything in between. Everything I say, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I get that from Suresh all the time. Yeah. But they're different questions. So, so but we're, we're very much focused on Southeast Asia. I Got it. That's your core We'll be optimistic focus. about where we are. I guess our main shareholder, Asia, is very much focused on that region and uh, has strategic and... Uh, advantages in those areas so I think we're just focused on that and the opportunity there is huge I mean some of the other markets are very large but there are lots of other people so I'm just there. going through your website sorry so you were gonna say something no I was gonna say yeah. you know you've got 700 close to 700 million people in this market right wow that's that's a good Asia. pool and, and that's and the unbanked yes no 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 it's the total population I mean it's it's not necessarily the easiest market there is a you know it's it, it's a mosaic of regulatory environments they are definitely becoming fintech friendly but Typically speaking, it's been a market that, or a region that's had very unique regulatory environments in each country. That's somewhat changing. They're having discussions, more fintechs are coming in. Um, so I think yeah. there was a McKinsey study which said like the standard deviation of income is seven times that of the European member states. And that diversity is reflected in religion, culture, language, payment system architecture, and certainly regulation as well. I think the key is, is there are lots of challenger banks, I think maybe in Europe and more in the US, but actually the act of localization and where there's so much diversity is our core USP. I actually remember when I was hiring someone in Singapore to join the team and looking at their salary expectation, I was thinking maybe I would apply for the job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not, not cheap and what happens? to hire. <laughs> uh, that's why we hire a lot of people from London. <laughs> you Are you <laughs> they, they have no idea how. Uh, and how Salim is that. So Salim, tell me, you were kind of working in the European market, and I know you did bits and bobs in Latin Latin region, but you know what drew you to to go and join Big Pay? Really interesting question. So I met Chris not too differently than one of those questions that you may or may not ask in a bar. <laughs> And actually, one person that's not here is Naveen, uh, who's actually one of the co-founders as well. And they were all working uh, on this project, and I met Chris, and Chris told me about this great plan to launch a challenger bank in Southeast Asia. I was like, 
blimey, this is the best possible idea ever. I'm in. He's like, well, I'm uh, not sure. And I'm other people first. They all said no. <laughs> you heard it first. Flattering as always, Chris. Um, it does take a type of someone with adventure and I guess imagination and like there is a huge opportunity there and not everyone wants to take a risk no one wants to leave their comfort zones but those are the most exciting adventures and, and Salim's was up for the challenge and that's it and you know what it is it comes down to it wasn't a big you know the regulatory environment wasn't what it is today it's very it's not easy but it, the infrastructure the regulatory environment everything is available for you across Europe you know you want to get IBANs, you go ahead. You want to get silicone account numbers, you can go ahead without massive capital investment. And I think that, or you want bin sponsorship. Bin sponsorship is almost unheard of in Southeast Asia. Yeah, it doesn't right? exist. It doesn't exist. Like, you can, you'll have, you'll be in conversations. It's like going to Lloyd's or Barclays and asking them for bin sponsorship. You, you want to just go to the other side of the world by like the first, after the first three months of conversation. I mean, it's probably, probably very challenging. Um, and here, but herein lies the opportunity. If you can navigate that regulatory environment. So this is a. Oh, Robert, is that your is that your private waitress? That's my uh, the private jet. I wasn't happy with my seat actually here, so I've got a private jet bringing me. Actually, on. that nicely comes to. So we we heard the reason why they decided to join Big Pay, although I I'm convinced that they kind of had had them at hello. Because I think anybody that calls you for a private, you know, for an interview and sends you a private jet, I think what happens at the other end becomes irrelevant, doesn't it? By private jet, you mean the <laughs> you mean A320 low-cost carrier. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is actually the best. It's actually a fantastic way to travel. You do not need more than that. Um, <laughs> but, and you can fit most of your mates in the back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Everyone can fit. I don't have 180 mates. I don't have 180 <laughs> yeah. mates. 186 on the Neo. Yeah. So, oh, there we go. so I'm on your website right now and I and one of the things I can see, which is quite bold because, you, you know, as you said, a lot of innovation fintechs have been in Europe and you're kind of one of the first to do it in that region. I have never seen a bank use the word bullshit on their website. You said bullshit. It, look, read it, look. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, there's not an icon, but it says the word bullshit on the website. I mean, that's pretty... Out. That's pretty ballsy. Yeah, it's pretty avant-garde, I must say. Were you influenced by the Sex Pistols and the Virgin Money card in the UK, which had the title of the uh, album on it? No. Never mind the... I uh, know, but to go down the route of oh, bullshit, of fintech, unbundling and rebundling, I mean, it's all the same thing. Fintech, tech fin, all of this bullshit does exist i mean simply we're doing the same things that everyone else did we're just doing it better faster cheaper using better tech and giving people less fees so fundamentally i do believe we're doing it so they don't mind as in people are happy to trust you using that kind of language because there's some territories where you tend to be very formal because if you want to be trusted with money you have to be formal and rigid and you can't be fun but you're in malaysia in those territories you're saying actually there is an opportunity to differentiate i think it's a mix right I'd say people understand fintech here. They understand, you know, what it means to kind of, you know, have secondary financial products or, you know, specific use cases. People in Southeast Asia haven't necessarily had a variety of financial products. They haven't seen what fintech is or been able to experience it. So how do you, it's very hard sell, right? Financial, financial services, people don't change their banks. People don't change the way they bank. They want it to be safe. They want it to be secure. They want it to be something that they're used to. So to change it, you really got to, 
shake it up. And I think some of the vernacular that we're using on the website really makes you think and say, oh, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe it is bull. What's what, what, what I'm being what I'm being served today by, by the banks in the region and how many fees I'm paying and the service I'm getting at the end of it. And I think I mean London is a place for evangelists and tech and fintech etc. But in Asia, non-banks are not necessarily trusted. Like who are you putting your actual money with? And I think this is a huge part of the value of Air Asia and Tony Fernandez. They've built a series of world-class brands that people trust to give a reliable, good value product. And essentially financial services are exactly the same. I mean, you're putting people, your life in the hands of someone when you get on their plane and you're putting the money in the hands of us. And that has been invaluable to us building the business both at a B2C level, like being trusted by our users um, and also growing into other markets as well. That platform has been, that strategic platform of AirAsia who essentially democratized and made low cost travel across Asia possible is hugely valuable. Yeah. So I'm going to dive into the bin again. Ah, this one looks like it's aimed at you, Chris. Tony Fernandez mentioned in an interview last week that he met you wasting your life in a bar in London. What did you say to him then, and how has your life changed since? So let me. You weren't a homeless person or anything like that. I was not a homeless person, though I dressed pretty scruffy. <laughs> I think it's how it's referring to. It. And um, yeah, he, he he doesn't mind a drink or two. Now I met Salim in a bar as well. Um, <laughs> but I think what he's referring to is the opportunity of, I think, working in Southeast Asia. I think we're talking about some of the demographics and structural differences. Seeing what's happening here with Brexit and a few other things. Um, Essentially, I think that Europe will end up being like a beautiful like outdoor museum in the future and like a nice place to go on holiday. But the engines of growth are Asia, China, India, and Southeast Asia is right on the doorstep and is growing at a huge rate. So, I mean, yeah, you can hang around here. You can be part of the 50 challenger banks here or any other thing. But actually, the fundamental growth in our lifetime is going to be in Southeast Asia. So I think that's what he was implying. And actually, like it took me a little bit of time to get my mind in gear and see that and like actually go hang on maybe I should uproot my life and go and move to Kuala Lumpur but I'm I assuming you didn't speak to 20 people and said hey would you like to come no not you what about you what about you <laughs> probably did I think Chris is in the corner so <laughs> <laughs> like, <a> 50 of <laughs> Chris was unconscious and couldn't respond so <laughs> <he did> that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, uh, in dangerous territory there. <laughs> and, and how has your life changed since is the, the backup from so how is life in Asia and how is life in big pay? I think there's two sides to that. I mean, it's been exhilarating building a business from scratch to essentially being, we printed more plastic than I think anyone else in Malaysia, our home market, than all of the major banks. So when, what's the latest count? Of users, I've got 600,000 registered users now. And so, I mean, when we started, when we saw someone go back to the theme of bars, like buying a drink with big pay and a bar, we'd be so happy, we'd go and buy them a drink. Now, actually, de facto, it is certainly the younger demographic, millennials, who are using it, but we see it in everywhere we go, that people are using it as a daily top-of-wallet product, which is very, yeah, exhilarating, building an awesome team, bringing people to actually do something that's changing people's lives, as in we are a product that is met, meeting an unmet need, and it's been, yeah, it's been really, really fun. Um, 
adventure. I still think of it as an adventure. It's, it's and when you amazing. first launched, was it like you would say to someone, I've never heard of Big Pay, and you're like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're backed by Tony Fernandez, owner of AirAsia. He's like, oh, yeah, hello, sir. How are you, sir? Three bags full, sir. I uh, don't like to name so <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's ever happened. <laughs> we name it. Obviously, it is you know, really well recognised. But, you know, it's always been, you know, your financial services. It's the airline. I think that AirAsia has definitely instilled a level of trust right. in the business, right? Like, especially at the very beginning when the brand wasn't known at all. You know, how do you, you know, AirAsia, there's only three companies, well, probably, you know, really three companies that have access to a massive user base, right? And similar amounts, 100 million people. You've got Grab, you've got Gojek, and you've got AirAsia. In the Southeast Asian region, and that's, that's I mean that means a lot. That's a big deal. Going back to that engine of growth and strategic uh, value that AirAsia brings to the table. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, do you guys look at some of the fintechs in Europe and say, you know what, we're not going to reinvent the wheel. We're just going to copy the same in a different territory. Uh, no, absolutely not. I mean, actually, if you look at what's going on in other markets in Asia, they're ahead. They're doing things in a very different way. But if you look at China Inc., if you look at what's going on in Indonesia, actually some some companies are way ahead of what's being done in Europe. Um, and secondly, like guys building products here, they've done amazing. I'm not, not saying saying that some of their successes haven't been they haven't done well, but they're catering to a market of 700 million. Right, we have to have different load channels, we have different data points, we have completely, as I said, like undocumented people, we have different logistics challenges, we have architectural issues around whether or not we can even be on cloud in some instances. I was going to say, has that region embraced the cloud? <laughs> uh, starting. Okay. It's, yeah. uh, so you have, have to have processing in country, don't you? But if the cloud regions. is in your country, surely you could use it? Depending on the country. So, so depending on particular countries and depending on how comfortable the regulator is, um, they're okay with it, but again, it's on a case-by-case basis, and, and, and it really is about protecting their... That's have a very the most technical I've ever heard, Robert. Well, I, I did actually hear that Alibaba has its own cloud now, yeah. and, it, and yeah. it's got yeah. servers in Malaysia, so if you went yeah. on the Alibaba cloud, yeah. you could actually do it through servers in Malaysia. Uh, uh, absolutely. You can isolate it. Yeah. I thought you were going to say it depends which way the wind blows, and if the cloud is over <laughs> that country at that moment... <laughs> Suresh just doesn't understand technology like that. <laughs> <laughs> just blow up and then. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So Suresh, do you want to dive in and see if you I can... I thought it was uh, yours. I've just, uh, I've just I've kind of two out of the bin. Okay. So what is the customer's view of legacy banks in the Far East Asia? So I would say when you talk to people, they don't know what they don't know yet. So I don't know. It's a bit like... Apple, like when you have a new product, people don't know that they need something really good. And generally, most people are quite content with their banks. But the reality of it is, and I think that they are a long, long way behind where banks in Europe are. And I think actually the rise of fintech in globally is part of, I think, how far banks are behind because it's very hard to innovate on core, core technology stacks, on core cultural setups and people and regulation so i think the nimbleness and agility that fintechs have so had. is that the why customers are selecting you over the other banks um yeah i think so i mean when some banks look at what you do and you meet many banks and they go um oh you just have nice ui ux but what is ui ux a function of good product right so you don't have horrible product journeys what is agile product a function of underlying code so owning the code and having a good architecture for your code allows you to essentially so it's your whole business essentially is your code, which is a reflection of product and UI UX. So frankly, we could show our whole system architecture to a bank, but it's 
like giving a laptop to a two-year-old it's not going to help them so if i had to ask each of you one aspect of your product that you're particularly proud of over everything else what would you say i guess i think it's about localization and about essentially being a product for everyday malaysians in terms of offering them value and offering them uh, ability for a feature money management is actually the key because a lot of our users are really young and i think sometimes people do not have control of their finances and actually knowing where you spend and how you spend is very empowering i think traditionally in financial services people have said um you know go out and get a loan go out and spend more money with us do this that or the other but it's not with regard to actually like putting the customer first and the customer being in charge of their own like financial well-being and that are the tools we give them the tools and they can use them in whichever ways they want in terms of understanding their spending and we're really building those features out but that's the stickiness and engagement that we get with our customers is allowing them to understand their money better and allow them to make decisions rather than like push decisions to them and Salim yeah sorry I was going to just follow on that one no no so so do you do encourage like savings and pensions and planning and that sort of stuff or is it purely just managing their, their monthly ability to spend? Would you try and encourage saving 10% or something? So the product feature and fees are low and we're much cheaper than anyone else in the market. So that's the core product in terms of savings and other products that are things we're working along coming, coming in the pipeline. In terms of encouraging, we're trying to be quite content-led and educational in how we're doing um, some of our marketing and blogs and things like that. Yeah, I think just to lead on from that, I'm going answering your question, Suresh. I mean, what are the banks, to kind of see what products we put out and what we're the most happy with, is you have to look at the banks in the market. And the banks in the market, they have old tech, you know. Um, but why? It's because they've catered to the top 20%. They've catered to a, you know, a, a population that was banked, that was earning a good income, that they could provide other products to. No one makes money on debit accounts. Everyone makes money on the other cross-sells that you've got on top of that. Um, and so you, the middle class, the, you know, the millennials, the youth weren't necessarily getting the educational pieces, the money management pieces, because it wasn't in the interest or it didn't, wasn't cost efficient necessarily to do it. So we've kind of come to the market and said, hey, actually, you know what? Everything's here and everything's low cost, uh, which has been, I think, really, really valuable. And I think one last thing, one product feature I would say is the customer service. It's the whole product as a whole, but the way that it's customer focused, right? It is all about the customer. And I think banks have really forgotten that piece a lot of them have and you've seen a massive you know trend in, in europe that have done that and that's amazing but putting the customer first because money is emotional ultimately it's emotional and how do you scale any of these things whether it's money management whether it's customer service it's better use of technology and i guess banks may be using more outdated systems or methods um struggle to have quality of, exactly. at scale and uh, that's what we're building from day one we're building processes and technology for scale. So now I want to talk about something that actually Robert knows nothing about, which is kind of the unbanked, you know, the, the kind of the, the guys on the street. What is the situation of that market when it comes to that? Robert, wake up, wake up. Oh, sorry. sorry, sorry, sorry. Just carry on, carry on. I'll be all right. I'll build jet lag. So Malaysia is predominantly banked. Maybe you tell me that the homeless people all have smartphones as well. With that as well, I mean, I think it's the leapfrog effect, which is essentially in more emerging markets. Everyone is online. Everyone is a digital native. Everyone is on social media. Everyone is used to like Instagram, Facebook, billion dollar apps, right? Why should someone who's used to that 
have a second or third tier financial product or no financial product in many cases. Um, so I think when we build, we build for the hardest to reach and the most discerning users. But fundamentally, that is applicable to everyone. It's about simplicity that is applicable to everyone, which makes it a mass market product. I think sometimes when people have targeted a particular maybe underserved cohort, it means that they actually make a suboptimal product in some way because they actually don't think it, that actually everyone's needs are pretty similar. Well, but uh, equally, the, the reason a lot of the banks have voided that area, I mean, this whole thing about universal banking where the governments have had to force banks to go down that route is yeah. because the banks have got such big costs to open an account and to run it, their overheads are so high that they lose masses of money when they're doing it. How have you overcome that? And can you actually make money or are you a charity? No, no not at all. Um, on the contrary. And that's, that's, been the, that's been part of it. Building the technology from the ground up, everything is a lot more cost effective. You know, you don't flip a light switch and the toilet flushes. Everything works as it should, right? Like a lot of old mainframe systems don't work the way they should. They are costly to maintain. They are costly to configure. Um, and to cater for certain cohorts, you need to configure your systems. And at some point, for larger banks that have all the technology sex, it just doesn't make sense to configure products in a way that are useful for that particular cohort when they're not going to necessarily make as much money as they would in other cohorts. And that's the key. I mean, financial services, i.e. banking, is your question was pointed out. Essentially, their model is around your net interest margin. And essentially, that's being compressed, especially in Europe. And after the global financial crisis, there were higher capital requirements, there were write-offs on loan books and high infrastructure costs around payments. And then on top of that, you have like core banking infrastructure and technology, which is hard to change. So when you put all of that together, and we're talking about, say, a regional bank in Southeast Asia catering to an underserved market, they have all of these overheads, which we do not have fundamentally. I mean, we're starting from ground zero. So we're working there and we've gone viral in, in our first market, but essentially, at scale, our overheads and our um, advantage will, will come into play. Yeah. So on a, on a, a low income, are we, are we talking like maybe 2,000 euros a month going through some of these accounts? Or are you saying, oh no, actually you need to be on at least 5,000 euros a month before we can take you on? What, we, have, what, we, have no your... bar. we have no bar. So we allow anyone to come on. We have no minimums. We have no costs. I think one thing to the point of the unbanked that's actually unique for Southeast Asia is that it's not just about MasterCard and Visa. I mean, we are a MasterCard and Visa shop, um, but at the end of the day, it is about catering to that tail of merchants and the people that are spending at that tail of merchants, and that's typically going to be potentially the, the lower income or unbanked. Uh, you know. I mean, it's not necessarily just a user um, consideration. I mean, one thing is infrastructure. I mean, actually, are there cash load networks? If you don't have a bank account, how do you actually like load up another account? Like how do you on and off ramps of money essentially? So you need to have different infrastructure for different areas. You need to have different load channels for different markets. And it's very diverse. And that is different for each market and each region. Like, you know, we've had to do deli you know, as a deliveries in London or in the UK are fairly straightforward. Delivering a car in the middle of Sarawak to a town which has about two kilometers of jungle road before you get there is a whole different ballgame. So how would you do that? It was complex. We have a great 
operations team that figured it out. We used different I had some pictures of you climbing markets. mountains and stuff. I don't know if that was linked. I had a backpack full of cards. <laughs> <laughs> you kept your costs down. We you kept our costs down. You now and exactly. the exactly. card. Get on your bike. No bikes. Bikes can't even uh, make yeah. it there. <laughs> yeah, so that's it. That's at least it. you built your strength up and uh, lost a lot of weight climbing mountains. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. that was surely by the lack of food. <laughs> So what's with the name Big Pay? What's that all about? Couldn't call it Little Pay, could we? Sounds like a lawyer's firm. He always goes for me. (laughs) That was like over my head at 5,000 metres, but uh, we're not even in the air yet. But I should know it's a reference, I guess, part of the ecosystem we're in, which is, um, yeah, AirAsia has its big loyalty scheme, it has its big shot ID, which is a single sign-on across um, different businesses. Um, It has an e-commerce platform as well. Um, all with related names. The other one stands pay. And you guys come to Europe quite often, but it seems like, you know, are you coming here to learn? Is this, I mean, what's the reason you guys, I mean, you're here for Money 2020? Absolutely. Yeah. So you're flying back. So what, what is it? Is it kind of you're it's, doing a brain dump or? It's to learn. It's to yeah. understand what's going on in the market. You know, the, you know, Europe has been the Sebastian of fintech for a very long time. It's the, the reg tech providers, the payment service providers, they've advanced a lot, they've dealt with a lot of the challenges. You're seeing companies that have really matured in their life cycle, along with, you know, so learning that, you know, so learning from that, finding our partners, uh, finding the people that we're gonna work with as we go for the challenges in Southeast Asia, it's been definitely a big draw for us. I mean, we come only, I think this is maybe a third time in Europe in three years, essentially. Uh, Money 2020 is a great event because you meet all of the people Salim talked about. Um, and it's good to sometimes, like when you're busy and you're building a company, I mean, you're, you're so caught up in it, it's good to see what else is going on. And we view ourselves as an ASEAN-focused business, but we're a global business in our approach in terms of talent, in terms of third parties we work with. So we need to continually keep refreshing and knowing what's new and interesting. There's something that I haven't briefed you guys about, right? But... We want to do this thing, right? Yeah. Where you know you get like you know you get like Top Gear. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and it's like the fastest guy, you know, around the track. Oh, done! Have you got a nice yeah. car that we can drive? So I think we should <laughs> yeah, do this. Yeah. Okay. Like we should get each guest to say the longest sentence with acronyms, right? I think we should have a, a chart of how we, how long they can last. That is a great idea. So each of you, what's the longest well, I, sentence? No, I think we're not just acronyms. Actually, I think. Talking uh, just uh, not acronyms, but also the words themselves in fintech oh, jargon. Jargon, fintech jargon. Fintech jargon. Talk fintech bingo. jargon bingo. that bingo. no <laughs> no one outside fintech would understand. Salim or Chris, who wants to go first? I just want to say what my favourite acronym is. It's TLA. Do you know what that stands for? I think it means three-letter acronym, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we love that. We love that. Come on, you ready? All right, let's do it. Um, it is super interesting to see how payment systems like the RPP uh, in Malaysia and are, are leveraging ISO 222. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if they can deploy open banking uh, standards and products similar to PSD2, whilst also considering data, you know, a PDPA and PDPA considerations maybe not as strict as GDPR, but something similar um, to allow non-bank 
uh, EMIs and uh, MSBs and other uh, fintechs to uh, leverage services uh, such as those in Europe using PISP and AISP services. That's good. Impressive. That's good. We're going to ask our man on the That's street sense, to do a count on that. Yeah. We're going to get him to do a, a count for how Off many points he used. Sunny Pace score 11 points. Wow. That was... That's a good time. That's the first one to pin on the map. Okay. We do this each time now. Chris. Chris, do you want to have a go? I will have a go, but I'm going to do it in a totally different way. I'm a very simple man. Like what we're doing is a low cost, low fee, um, simple product. So, so should I, should I count you down? That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> oh, that's it. That was that's it. it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Oh, no, well, but I think that's the problem with fintech and many different financial services is actually making actually fundamentally quite simple things unnecessarily complicated. So, yeah, I don't know. That's, I think you I should think. have just said, look, we're launching BIG Pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, done, guys. well done. And as we're nearly up for time, the most important question I have for you is, can you get me the upgrade? Suresh, the steward is chasing you back to your seat now. You, you better get going because it's a long walk. Okay, to, to I'm gonna, we're going to swap seats later on, guys. Done. Yeah. 100 okay. points of persistence. <laughs> <laughs> These guys are Suresh. so nice. But can we just say thank you very much, Chris yeah. and you. Salim? It's, it's been a great pleasure. We wish you all success. Uh, I think it's a brilliant thing you're doing. I think Asia needs people like Salim and Chris to... Take yeah. banking to the next level. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. I'm still on the upgrade. <laughs> Fintech Unplugged is available for download on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and TuneIn. So please subscribe today and remember to give us a five star rating.